Buddhist Geeks Discover the Emerging Face of Buddhism. Episode 222 The Chief Facilitator. We're joined this week by Stephanie Nash to explore her experience of working with modern meditation teacher Shinzen Young. This is part one of a two part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one time or monthly recurring donation by visiting BuddhistGeeks.com forward slash donate. Hello, Buddhist Geeks. This is Vincent Horn, and I'm joined today in my home studio with a special guest, an LA resident. Now that I'm here in LA, I'm sort of looking for all the cool Buddhists out here. And it, mm. there's a ton of them, actually. Glad to be here with my special guest, Stephanie Nash. Thank Hi. you for being here. Thank you. And you know, we've got an interesting conversation in store, I think. We're going to be talking about acting mm-hmm. and mindfulness meditation, how those two sort of connect. We're going to be talking about your project that you've been putting out a ton of videos with Shinzen Young, mm-hmm. um, who's been on the show. And he's like our unofficial Buddhist geek. He wears your t-shirt proudly. Yeah, I will, I will tell you that. I'll tell you a little story about when I was interviewing him. We did it over Skype, and I was sitting there, and he just sort of started going into all this amazing material and going into artificial <laughs> intelligence and creating his own AI, the virtual Shinzen. Oh, he's done that, you know. I know he's yeah. He was yeah. totally talking about yeah. actually doing it, and I was sitting there and I was just like, oh my gosh, this guy's way geekier than I imagined. <laughs> and I was text, I was texting my friend at the time who was helping with Buddhist Geeks. I yeah. said, I was like, Shinzen just crossed the Geekicon here. <laughs> and then he kept going. And then at a certain point, I said, he just hit 16 oh. on a scale of 1 to 10. I was oh, like, this is outrageous. I was texting him during the interview. That's so funny. It's funny, actually, that you were texting during an interview. I mean, that says something. But, oh, yeah, no, I'm sure he'd hit 20 or 30, really. Yeah, it seemed there. like he was just getting warmed up, too. Yeah, um, so anyway, just to yeah. say that Shinzen's an incredibly intelligent guy. And, mm-hmm. and you're his chief facilitator, actually. You sort of been studying with him for a long time now, since 98, you've been yeah. sort of his... Well, from the beginning, I mean, from my first retreat, the first time I met him, he asked me to teach him to juggle. And the second retreat, I ended up recording his stuff. The man I eventually married did that, and I took over that job. So, And then I worked with him to produce his tapes and think of names and things like that. So I had him calling my home all the time from the beginning, going, well, what do you think we should do about this? And he took me to my first sweat lodge ceremony, mm. like a month later after meeting him. So, yeah. So from the beginning, you kind of just fell right into that style of practice, into working with him. Yeah. Well, he was really what drew me in. I had had various experiences in New York before I moved out here, and they were of the nature that I didn't dare talk to anybody about them. And I wanted to talk to someone about them, and I wanted to talk to someone who'd had some kind of experience. And then I started looking, and this was pre-computers and Googling, and so we're talking phone books. And as I looked around for various teachers, I found some that were dead and (laughs) some that had written things or didn't speak English, and I wanted to hang out and have a beer with someone who knew something. And I thought, you know what, that's just not going to happen. So I thought, maybe I should meditate. I can't really sit still for five minutes, but maybe that's what I should do. So I went down to the Bodhi Tree, which is a bookshop here, 
and asked some guy who was on a Walkman there, dates us there, mm-hmm. <laughs> and said, all these books, I can't do it. Do you have any tapes? And he said, yeah, there's one by some guy. It's got five different meditations on it. There's like karma yoga and vipassana and loving kindness and two others and Kabbalah. And I said, okay. So I listened to all five of them, and I thought, you know, they were all good except that Vipassana. It was awfully technical, but I liked them all. And I thought, but you know, this guy teaching it, he's real clear. And I come from a family of teachers. My mom's a great teacher. My everybody teaches. So, and I've always been told, just learn what the good teachers are teaching. Is really what I was told when I went to college, which pissed me off at the time, but I appreciate it now. And so I tried to find him and couldn't. On there, it said an LA meditation center that didn't exist anymore. And then a few months later, a, a man I knew called me at two in the morning and said, you know that guy you're looking for? He's on the radio right now. And it was KPFK. And at the end, and I went, oh, yeah, that's him. He still sounds kind of like a woman, but he sounds older, you know. And at the end of it, it said Vipassana Support Institute. And I was like, oh, man, of all those cool meditations, he picked Vipassana, <laughs> you know. But I thought he was the one. And so I followed to the first Saturday set that was led by facilitators, which I have now led dozens of times, and uh, then followed that to the first retreat with him. And in my first online, he was it was the first time he was teaching talk image feel where you separate your experience into visual, auditory, and, and somatic. And I had said, you're on a phone as he's teaching you to meditate. He has four people in a room, and he calls it an online and he goes back and forth between the four people. He gives you something to do and you meditate and then he goes to someone else. He gave me this talk image feel and I said, oh, I know how to do this. It's just how you juggle three balls. I said, I teach that. And he went, oh, okay, well, you work on that for a while and I'll be back in 20 minutes. And then three minutes later, he came back and said, can you teach anyone how to juggle? And I said, yeah, pretty much. And he said, could you teach me how to juggle? And I said, well, have you ever done a ball sport? He said, no, and I'm really spastic. <laughs> so I said, well, it'll take longer, but you know about that, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, right after the retreat, I was in a room with him, with him throwing around balls, and, you know, he was like a kid, you know? And I thought, wow, I'm seeing this teacher I've heard on all these tapes jumping up and down like a kid learning how to juggle. Nice way to break down any sense it of really barrier did. real quick. Yeah, it really <laughs> did. So I'm saying, no, no. So I'm kindly talking to him. So my relationship from the beginning with him was an interesting back and forth of an unusual outside of the norm nature. And uh, I was drawn to his teaching and I gave in to the Vipassana because it's what I needed. I had all the the other stuff I had. This is what I needed. But his clarity was unsurpassed, and I was very cautious in looking for a meditation teacher. I popped my head in different groups, and I didn't want a guru, and I didn't want to have to believe anything or bow to somebody. You know, I thought my mind was a very valuable thing, and I didn't want to hand it over. And Shenzhen was very scientific and mathematical, and I had been a math person. And it was all based on, this is the formula, try it. It wasn't, I've had this experience, you will have this experience. It was very much, here's this formula, try it. And he worked interactively. And whenever you did a private one-on-one with this interactive guided meditation, which I'd never heard of, but you're labeling what's going on with you. And based on that, he'd say, oh, try this. And you'd try that. And I've never had, to this day, and I've been with him a long time, I've never had an interactive guided with him where there wasn't at least one aha. Hmm. 
like, oh, wow, uh, or some kind of shift. That's amazing. That's amazing that he can do this. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of people, I think, have this experience of getting instruction and then they go off and do their thing and then maybe five, ten years later, right. <laughs> they realize, right. oh, wait, there was something I wasn't right. quite doing right there. Right. Um, well, here's your koan. <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> peace out. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. That's interesting. I really appreciate that style of, of working with people. It's kind of the, the feedback mechanism is really interesting there. Um, and that's how you work with people too. Yeah, and I teach that way. Although you know, I blend it both as Shenzhen does. When you're guiding a group, of course, you can't do interactive. Right. So you have to do a general one. And when I do private sessions, which I do a lot of with people, and I record it onto a CD with the meditations on different tracks, so it can go onto your iPod. You know, somebody might want a 10 minute meditation for getting on an airplane, or an issue when they're at work and something comes up. And I have one client, in fact, who makes me do five-minute meditations. It's so hard for me to do, but she has this library on her iPod of these five-minute meditations, and she'll end up putting them together and designing her own 20, 25-minute meditation. And before that, she would never have sat longer than 10 minutes. Mm. And I thought, ah, oh, okay. So I, I will create specific kind of designer meditations for someone on a shorter basis. And when you guide groups, of course, you can't say, how's that going? Yes. Um, although I have done that with couples. Interesting. I've had two couples there, and I'd say, okay, label out loud what's happening so they can, they're can they hearing each other in it Yes. Uh, in an interesting way. That's quite a powerful thing to do. So there's this kind of experimental and modern, I would say, type yes. of approach here that you've uh, learned from, from Shenzhen. Shenzhen. Yes. Oh, not only learned from it, he encourages it. I didn't mm. even know everyone else didn't. He was my main teacher. I learned everything from him. I learned Buddhism from him. And whenever I was trying something as a teacher, I said, hey, Shenzhen, you know when people have internal talk, you know, it's kind of like a dripping faucet. What if we turned on the faucet and turned on all the talk and then it's just white noise? And Or I'd play with things and he'd say, well, that's good. Go try that on 20 people and come back and tell me how that works. He would encourage you to go out and try things. And then when I went out and started talking to other teachers, they went, What? Mm-hmm. You're not teaching what was handed down for centuries from your teacher and through transmission? And I thought, well, Shinsen's always honing everything. He's always perfecting and learning. And students say, oh, this is a problem. He goes, oh, okay, then let's do this. And so, I mean, aren't we evolving and changing and growing as we learn that, you know, as a child, you run into something and go, oh, hey, not good to touch fire, okay? And so you learn and adapt. And I don't see why meditation or this process of evolving our inside, our perception and perspective wouldn't be honed as well. But I was so surprised when I came across certain bristling when I went out into the it was mostly Buddhist community because I just tend to like Buddhist people, but you know, that's where I went. But I was surprised at the response that that wasn't welcomed and appreciated and encouraged everywhere. And so I just talked to Shenzhen about that now. And now here I'm with you <laughs> rather publicly. Well, no, and it, 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 it's good. And this is, I think, one of the main mm-hmm. themes that comes up actually on Buddhist Geeks is looking at maybe the difference between like a traditional approach mm-hmm. and then maybe more modern or postmodern way of looking and at things. And innovative, yeah. Yeah, and, it, yeah. and they tend to be very quite different. And mm-hmm. um, so in some ways, Buddhist geeks, what we're really interested in exploring is these kind of cutting edge right. ways of looking at Buddhism. And, and although 
sometimes they go off the rails, you know, right, sometimes. Right, right, right. A lot of the times there's amazing depth and, and just innovation happening. So Well, and Shenzhen will always use Mahasi Seido, I believe, who came in and, you know, when he was teaching and said, hi, we're going to do this noting or this moving of awareness, you know, at the time everyone said, ah, you're crazy, and now that's considered a norm. Yes. So Shenzhen uses that as an example all the time. Because this will be the norm, <laughs> you know. You know. Yeah. It's about what works. Yeah. Yeah. There's a kind of practical. Does it work? Yes. You know. So another piece uh, around this that I wanted to talk to you about is it's around some of the work you've been doing, not just in teaching, but then also recording. Yes. Different interviews, <laughs> teachings, etc., and helping get them out. And, and a yeah. big way has been through video lately. Right. Um, so tell me a little bit about that project and kind of what the core aim of it is, because I find it really interesting because you do a ton of work on this. I uh, know, and we were just talking before we went, you were telling me about outsourcing. I'm going to learn to do that because it's just me. Um, I think in a way it's my service to the world. It started with my believing what Shinzen was teaching was of value to every living human being and that there could be a real shift in the world, just understanding on the most simple level, just even dividing things into visual, auditory, and somatic can change everything. And I felt initially there was a learning curve in approaching Shenzhen's techniques, sometimes the geek factor, people who don't wear the name geek proudly (laughs) might go, you know, that's a little more work than I was looking for. So part of it was my desire to introduce, and I, I come from acting and I teach film directors, and I was seeing what was going on in the world in terms of visual input. Also, if someone's seeing something visually and hearing it auditorily, it's going in in more levels in the learning experience. And I'm teaching a workshop next week on the physicality of acting, of how just looking at bodies and what the body says and and does and how to use it expressively. And just watching someone's body and presence can give you a very real experience of it. Initially, I did this as a vehicle to just help introduce Shenzhen to the world in originally a talk show fashion. <laughs> you know, some people went, "Wow, that new student! You know, she caught on quick." You know, <laughs> I'd been with him for ten years by then. But you know, I was asking the questions my first-time students ask, and I even warned everyone when we recorded it in the room. I said, "Okay, I am going to interrupt Shenzhen, and I want everyone to just watch your body sensations," because at that time, no one did. When he spoke, we all stopped and took in the wisdom. And I said, no, I'm going to interrupt him and say, by that, do you mean what? And Shenzhen loved it. He loved it. He felt it was helping clarify him to a different audience. So his prime directive (laughs) was absolutely to get it out there and received. So initially, it was originally to just kind of help bring him to a wider audience. And if someone was just stumbling on YouTube and went, what's this? Uh, then I put some of my stuff on there. I realized I teach in a way that's a, you know, I call myself his warm-up act. That is, in a sense, that <laughs> is a performer. I like humor. It helps people kind of relax and open, and then you slip in some, you know, <laughs> information. And I'm obviously a woman and not a man, and so I have a different style, and I'm physical and in the body, and so I'll I'll do things in a different way. And so I recorded my stuff. And then I had a, another teacher uh, who was a friend of mine, Lee Brasington, and we happened to do some guerrilla recording one time on retreat with him. But that ended up uh, helping people. I had done a lot of 
audio interviews with him that didn't get a fraction of the play and people responding to it as this one little video thing we did. So I saw the power of that. And then I turned to Shenzhen and he said, you should interview other teachers. And I said, I plan to. I'm in Santa Monica and there are so many great Buddhist teachers there. You could just, it's like lunch and dinner and meals for a month. And I said, who would you like me to interview? And then he said, Chula Dasa. And I said, who is that? (laughs) And he said, oh, he's this man in Arizona. I think he's truthful and really doing it. And I think it would be good for him to get that exposure. So that spoke to me about Shinzen's non-ego, open heart, the idea of just wanting somebody who's doing a good thing. Yeah, put him on my site, that kind of thing. And I happened to then get asked, three weeks later, get asked to teach a retreat in Arizona where he is. So I went, okay, we'll do that. So I started then, and I have that with Ken McLeod, and I have some other teachers I'm going to do. But my purpose now with it, back to the purpose, if I have a place where people are coming to check stuff out, they're all so different. What this teacher's saying, I have one teacher saying something opposite of what another teacher's saying. And two people talking about jhanas, and they're talking about two totally different things. Right. And they're using language differently, and I'm going, ah, okay. And so I think it's valuable to have one place. If someone who's coming to look for Shenzhen can also discover another teacher, someone coming from another teacher can discover Shenzhen, I would love to be that center hub for that. So my purpose is service. Mm. And then also it sounds like getting information out in a way that people can kind of get access to these different Easily digestible. Yeah, and easily digestible, (laughs) accessible. Yeah, accessible and YouTube. I knew when my, you know, 12 and 13-year-old niece and nephew were all over YouTube, I thought, okay, you know, if I can get people like from the town in Ohio I came from hot on it, then I know I've done it. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.